Well, again, just a quick word of welcome. We're glad you're here with us today. If you would take out of your bulletins this insert page that I mentioned at the beginning, um, remember it tells the first parable that we are going to actually take a look at here that Jesus taught um, in Luke 18, um, but then it also has the earlier version of this story that was popular among the Jews of Jesus' day below it, because we want to take a look. I mean, in some ways, it's what Jesus changes is almost more important than, than what he says. It, it makes a real point for them. So we want to take a look at that uh, together. But first, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, is a source of hope and joy and strength in our lives, who listens to our prayer and answers in just the right time. Amen. So here's a question for you as we begin the message today. What do you do when it seems like prayer isn't working? My guess is we all at some point in our lives have had that experience where we're praying to God about something and we keep praying to God about something and it's not that we, we, we find out that God has kind of said no, you know, like we don't get the job that we have been praying to get or something like that. Instead, it's like God doesn't say anything at all. That God doesn't seem to be answering that prayer at all. It's just, he just is making you wait. What do you do when it seems like prayer isn't working? Um, I had that experience. Uh, Betty and I are going to be married 40 years this year. We got married in 1978, so we'll be married 40 years. We were 10 when we got married, by the way, and... uh, I wish, but anyway, um, uh, and, and so, but, but if you know our family, you know we have one child, one son, and he's going to be 23 this year. So if you do the math, that means we were married 17 years before we had him, and I can tell you that was not the plan, right? We got married, we were going to wait a couple of years and start our family, and God had other plans. And so there were a lot of years there where I had been praying pretty fervently that God would give me the blessing of being a dad. And God didn't seem to be answering that prayer. And uh, it went years, and I was praying that prayer, and God wasn't answering that prayer. So you know what I did when it seemed like prayer wasn't working? I gave up. I I just stopped praying about it. And in fact, honestly, I did more than just stop praying about that. I was kind of like, well, God, if you're not going to answer that prayer, how do I know you're going to answer any of my prayers? And, And honestly, my prayer life stunk. I just didn't pray a lot. Kind of gave up. Now, obviously, that's not what we're supposed to do, right? So, so what are we supposed to do when it seems like prayer isn't working? Well, Jesus addresses that in our parable today. Now, now, first of all, let's set the scene a little bit. In the chapter leading up to chapter 18, where Jesus tells this parable to his disciples, he's been teaching them about the coming kingdom of God. In other words, he's been teaching them about the end times, and he's been teaching them not only about some things that they were actually going to experience in their lives, but, but then what everyone would experience at the last days as well. So he's been, he's been kind of painting that picture, and quite frankly, it's a pretty scary picture. In uh, verse 22, he he says, you're going to desire to see me, but you're not going to see me. You're going to be looking for me, but I won't be there. He was warning them that he was going to die and and rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven. And he was going to be gone. He wasn't going to be around when they were going through those difficult times, at least not physically, in the same way he was with them then. He, he, he told them about some things that were going to happen to him. He, he said the son of man, he was talking about himself, is going to suffer many things and be rejected. In other words, he was warning them about his imminent arrest and the fact that he was going to be beaten and crucified. He was warning them that they were going to see that happening to him. 
Um, then he was talking about how in, in the, there were going to be these difficult times that were going to come. And, and in some ways, he was talking about a real fulfillment that happened uh, there in 70 AD. He says it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah when fire was rained down from heaven on them. Well, in 70 AD, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, and they did rain down fire on Jerusalem. The, the stones it, were burnt. You can go to Jerusalem today and still see stones. The, the black stains on stones from the fire from the Romans in 70 AD. That's how bad it was. But he was also, of course, talking about the last days. And, uh, and he says, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Things are going to get destroyed. It's going to be bad. And, uh, and then he said this, whoever seeks to save his life is going to lose it. It's going to be difficult for you to follow after me. And when the disciples questioned him about this, and they, you know, and they, 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 they asked him about this, this is what he ended with. This was his last phrase. He said, where the corpses, the vultures will, will, will gather. Wow. Talk about some hard sayings of Jesus. But then it says at the beginning of chapter 18, after he's been talking about these difficult times with them, he tells them this parable. It says, so that they would always pray and not lose heart. So, so let's turn our attention uh, to this parable. Now, I, I mentioned it just a little bit ago. Jesus is actually using an existing story that was well known among the Jews. A number of years ago, I went to a, a pastor's conference, and they had invited this guy there, and he was a script doctor. He was there to help us as pastors learn how to tell stories better. But he was really an interesting guy. His name was Bob McKee, and he is literally a guy that in Hollywood, if they're already filming a movie and the director can tell this isn't going to work, there's something wrong here, this is not going to be a great movie, they will bring him in and they pay him a lot of money to fix the script to fix the story so it's going to work, so, so it will be compelling, so the movie has a better chance of succeeding. And they had invited him to come speak at this pastor's conference. Now, interestingly enough, he's not a believer. And, uh, and he said right out at the beginning, he goes, I don't think a whole lot of you pastors, I don't, I don't think a lot of religion, I don't th the only reason I'm here is you guys paid my fee, so I'm here, you know? Um, and he actually at one point, you know, said, you guys could tell stories as good as you want, but, but you're going to lose because I got all the money in Hollywood and, and I'm going to just blow you guys away. Now, interesting enough, we're going, well, yeah, well, we got the word of God, so okay, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but, but seriously, he was, he was there to kind of tell us how to make a story work, how to make a story good. And, and Jesus, in some ways, is doing the exact same thing here because, as I said, he's taking this story that was well-known in his day, and he's doctoring it up. He's changing it. Let's take a look, take a minute to take a look at this story. It's, it's down at the bottom of your insert. I want to read through it with you. Now, what it came from was there's a group of books that were written in between the Old and the New Testament. They're not inspired by God. They're not a part of the, of the, uh, the Bible, but we call them the Apocrypha, this group of writings that were written in, in between the Testaments. And the people in Jesus' day saw them as very authoritative, and, and so they knew these writings. And this is a, a story from one of those. Listen to this. Let me read it to you. It says, do not offer a bribe, it's talking about to the Lord, for he will not accept it. Do not tr uh, trust to an unrighteous sacrifice, for the Lord is the judge, and with him is no partiality. He will not show partiality in the case of a poor man, and he will listen to the prayer of one who is wronged. He will not ignore the supplication of the fatherless, nor the widow when she pours out her story. And now here's this next part where they would have known this little part well. Do not the tears of the widow run down her cheek as she cries out against him who has caused them to fall. 
He whose service is pleasing to the Lord will be accepted, and his prayer will reach to the clouds. The prayer of the humble pierces the clouds, and he will not be consoled until it reaches the Lord. He will not desist until the Most High visits him and does justice for the righteous and executes judgment. The Lord will not delay, neither will he be patient with them till he crushes the loins of the unmerciful and repays vengeance on the Gentiles. By the way, we had to look at a few different translations till we found one that said loins. That's the best word we could find for church use, okay? <laughs> now, uh, now, now, so that was well known to the people of Jesus' day, this idea that, that if you just were persistent with God that he would eventually come and give you justice. Now, you can imagine why that was so well known in Jesus' day, but because for literally hundreds of years, they have been subject to Gentile rulership. First it was the Greeks, and that now it's the Romans, and that Gentile rulership is difficult, it is hard, they are subservient people. And, and so this idea that they were, first of all, questioning, they've been praying for years for God to come rescue them, why hasn't he done it? And so the story is saying, be persistent, keep praying to God, eventually he is going to come and give you justice, he's going to crush the Gentiles, don't worry, God is going to take care of you. That was the story. So Jesus comes along and he takes that story and he puts his own twist on it and he changes some things and it's important for us to take a look at what he changes, okay? So first of all, in Jesus' version of the story, the widow becomes the main character. Now, did you notice in, in the story that they knew, the widow starts it and then it quickly switches to a guy, a poor man, right? So there's this widow in her tears and then it instantly goes to a guy and then the rest of it's all this guy, okay? But Jesus keeps it only the widow and, and makes her the main character of the story. And in some way, we shouldn't be surprised because the way Jesus treated women in his day was radically different. Um, one uh, Christian writer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, put it this way. He said, Jesus gave women dig human dignity. Prior to Jesus, women were regarded as inferior beings, religiously speaking. So Jesus comes along, and instead of making women just servants, he makes women disciples. We're told in another place in Luke, he actually traveled with a group of women who helped fund his ministry. That was unheard of in that day. I mean, think about the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. When the disciples come back and they see Jesus talking to her, remember, it doesn't say that they're shocked he's talking to a Samaritan. It says they're shocked he's talking to a woman, Jesus again and again raised up the value and the leadership of women during his ministry. Mary and Martha, remember that story? Uh, Mary is listening to Jesus teach and Martha's working in the kitchen and she's all mad that Mary's not helping her. And, and we often look at that story as, well, Martha was doing women's work and Mary was being lazy, but that's not what it says. What it says is Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. That's the phrase for becoming a disciple. So in other words, one of them is becoming a disciple, not a stereotypic role for the day, and the other is doing the stereotypic role. And do you remember what Jesus said? Mary has chosen the better thing. Again and again through Jesus' ministry, he lifts up the role of, leader, of, of women in leadership. And uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that here in this parable, he makes the widow the star of the show. Jesus also messes with the character of the judge. In, in the version that they knew, God was the judge, right? But in Jesus' version of the parable, the, the judge is an unjust judge. Uh, literally, it says that the judge didn't care what God thought or he didn't care what men thought. 
Now, now, by the way, remember how Jesus used to summarize the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. This guy doesn't love God. He doesn't love others. He loves himself only. And he really doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what other people think. He's, the only reason he gives the widow what he wants is he's afraid she's giving him a headache. That's it. Jesus also leaves out the crushing your enemies part. Do you notice that? He, he talks about God coming to, to, to help his people, but he doesn't talk about God coming to crush his enemies like it runs all throughout the version that they knew in that day. And, and why does Jesus do that? Well, because remember what Jesus taught. He taught that we're not supposed to pray for our enemies to be crushed. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Very different than what the people of Jesus' day thought. But, but here's maybe the biggest change that Jesus makes to the story, to the parable, and that is notice in their version of the story, the way you get God to do what you want him to do is by being pleasing to the Lord. Look about the middle of that story. Uh, it says, he whose service is pleasing to the Lord will be accepted. And then it says, the prayer of the humble pierces the clouds and he will not be consoled until it reaches the Lord. In other words, according to the, the narrative of Jesus' day, it, they wanted God to come and help them and they believed the way to get God to come and help them was by being good, by doing the right things. Now, my guess is we've all felt that way. You know, when we've been praying to God about something, and, uh, and it seems like God isn't answering our prayer, it seems like God isn't showing up the way we want, isn't it true that often our first thought is, what did I do wrong? I must not be doing the right thing, I must not be praying the right way, or maybe, maybe God thinks I don't deserve an answer to this prayer. And we focus it on ourselves, don't we? Again, I'll be honest with you. Uh, during those years, you know, when I was praying that, that I'd be able to become a dad, you know, I'd see a couple up getting their baby baptized, and there was a part of me going, well, I'd be better parents than them. <laughs> or there was a part of me going, well, maybe I wouldn't be, and that's, maybe God, that's why you're not giving me a kid, because maybe you know that I'd screw it up or something like that, you know, and and, and, and so, so sometimes we link whether God answers our prayer to our own behavior. And that's what is certainly happening here in the people's version of this story. But look at what Jesus says. He says, first of all, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will give justice to his chosen people? Jesus is using a teaching technique of his day, by the way, where you go from small to big or from lesser to greater. In other words, he's saying, the reason he's made this judge, this kind of unjust jerk, is he's saying, even the jerk gave the woman what she wanted. What do you think about me? He says, I'm a God that loves you dearly. I'm your heavenly father. I'm willing to do anything for you. Don't you think I'm gonna answer your prayers? But, but here's the other thing to make sure you notice where does Jesus put the, 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 the impetus for your prayer being answered? In your own behavior? No, in the character of God. In other words, he says, if you're praying and, and you don't think you're getting an answer, you'll have a tendency to look at yourself and say, well, if I was pleasing to God or if I was humbler or if I prayed the right way, then maybe God would answer me. And Jesus is saying, you're looking in the wrong place. Look to the character of God. God. 
I mean, one more note about my situation. I gave up. I stopped praying. God still answered that prayer. God didn't go, okay, well, if you'd kept praying, I would have given you a kid. Sorry, you know. We trust in the character of God, not in our own ability to make ourselves somehow humble enough that God will answer our prayer or persistent enough that, that, uh, that we prove to God we're worthy of him answering that prayer. Jesus says we focus on the fact that we have a loving God. So back to our question, though. According to the story of Jesus, what are we supposed to do when it seems like prayer isn't working? And the answer is pretty simple. The answer is keep praying. That's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. When, when it seems like we are praying and God isn't answering that prayer, that God is making us wait and we're tempted to give up, Jesus says don't. Keep praying. Now you may go, well, why? Doesn't he already know what we need? Isn't he going to do what's best for us anyway? So why should we keep praying? Well, let me give you three reasons. First of all, persistent prayer keeps my focus where it belongs, it keeps my focus on God. If we stop praying, if we give up praying, we're not focused on God anymore, are we? We're focused on our own circumstances or our own problems or our own struggles. But when we keep praying, when, when we keep turning to God, even though it seems like we've been doing it over and over and over again and he's not listening, our focus stays on him. Second reason we keep praying is because the more we pray, the less afraid we are. Let's go back again and look at that first verse that set up this parable. Notice what it said. Jesus told them this parable so two things would happen. First of all, so they'd keep praying, and second of all, so they wouldn't lose heart. These two are linked. The idea here is that the more we pray, the less we will lose heart. The more we will put our hope and our trust in God, not the less. And then, then finally, the other reason we keep praying is simply because it reminds me that God is at work. Here's what happens when, when I'm praying about something and I'm, I'm saying, God, I need you to show up. I need you to help with this. And it seems like God isn't showing up. And so we give up and we stop praying. Who do we start to depend on? Ourselves, right? We, we decide we're going to take it into our, if, well, if God's not going to fix this, I'm going to have to fix this. I'm going to have to handle this myself. And we forget that God is at work. There's a, there's a phrase I love to say, and I always attributed it to Martin Luther, and, and this week I actually thought, well, I better make sure Luther really said that, and I actually found that five different people said it. It might have been Luther, it might have been St. Augustine, might, you know, so who knows who actually said it. Maybe none of them did, I don't know, but it, it's, it's pretty good wisdom anyway, and, and it's like this, it's work like it all depends on you, but pray like it all depends on God. I, I really like that, right? We roll up our sleeves and we get to work, but we pray like it all depends on God because we know ultimately it does. Now, now, what happens if you take out the pray like it all depends on God part? Then it's just work like it all depends on you, right? And, and so that's why Jesus wants us to keep praying because it reminds us again and again that God is at work in our lives. I, uh, I love this old painting of this, this, this elderly gentleman uh, just with his hands folded at the table, his Bible and a simple meal there on the table. But every time I see this now, I, I think of something that happened to me a number of years ago. I was getting ready to head to seminary, and, uh, um, and I had to study Greek before I went to seminary. So I was still teaching full-time at the time. And uh, so Tuesday and Thursday nights, I went to Moody Bible Institute uh, for a year, and I studied Greek. 
And uh, about halfway through, it was six to nine o'clock, but about halfway through that time, we'd take a break and we would go to chapel down at Moody Bible Institute. And they had all different people that would come and speak. Well, one night, they had a missionary there to speak to us. He was 88 years old. He, he had been a, a foreign missionary for like 40-some years or something like that. It was, it was amazing. And uh, he was 88 years old, and he was talking to us, and, and he told the story about how he came to faith in Jesus. He grew up in a small uh, town in Missouri, and, uh, and it was one of these traveling evangelists that was coming through town. And, uh, and so they had the tent set up, they were doing the revival, and so he and three of his friends didn't believe in God, thought religion was a bunch of baloney, but they decided they were going to go to this because, first of all, they were hoping they might meet some women, and second of all, uh, they thought they could kind of make fun of what was going on there. So the four of them went. And they listened to this evangelist, and he said the word of God uh, just had its way with him that night. The Holy Spirit broke down the hardness of his heart. And, uh, and at the very end, when the evangelist challenged people to come forward and accept Jesus as their Savior, he got up and he went forward, and, and he uh, began a lifelong relationship with Jesus. He said that very night, before he went to bed, he got down on his knees, and he began praying for his three friends that were there with him, because they thought what he had done was pretty silly. And he said it only took a couple of months, but one of those friends, God worked in his heart too and gave him that gift of faith and he came to know Jesus as his savior. He said, so then I kept praying for the other two. And he said it took a few years, but, but one of those last two friends, he said, finally came to faith in Jesus. And then he said something I will never remember. It still kind of gives me goosebumps to think about. Now remember, this guy's 88 years old. This happened when he was in his 20s. And, and he had prayed for one guy for a couple of months, one guy for a couple of years, and then he said this, he said, and I'm still praying for my other friend, and I still believe God is going to answer that prayer. Think about that. 88 years old. He had been praying for over 60 years for his friend to come to know Jesus. And in a, you would think he would have given up somewhere along the way, but he stood there and he said, I'm still praying for my friend, and I still believe God is going to answer that prayer. Wow. Folks, that's the way Jesus wants us to pray. No matter what it is in your life that you're struggling with, no matter where it is that, that you need courage or strength or hope or whatever it is, don't give up on God. Jesus says we're here to keep praying, trusting that we have a heavenly father that loves us. And, and he is going to answer our prayer. Amen.